It's a, a single and solitary statement uh, that the Lord Jesus made. It's recorded for us down to this very day. You can find it, uh, if you're interested, in John chapter 8, verse 12. In uh, that verse, we, we hear the words of Jesus who said, this is what he said, I am the light of the world. And that got me thinking. Because in saying what he said, the Lord is in essence claiming to be the spiritual equivalent of the sun. S-U-N. The sun is the source of light, the primary source of light uh, for all of us. And the Lord Jesus knows that we, even the nine scientific ones amongst us, have a sufficient notion of the properties of natural light so that he could use this expression as a parallel for the spiritual enlightenment he offers. So in making this statement, I am the light of the world, he knows he's striking a familiar chord because everyone would have been familiar with the reality and concept of light. Now this statement, I am the light, is the second of seven I am statements recorded by John in this book. Seven times the Lord says, I am. The first time he said, I am the bread of life. This is the second I am statement. And here he says, he has said, I am the bread of life. And now he says, I am the light of the world. Now you discussed, and thank you for for doing that. Almost all of you were willing participants and had a good attitude, but there's some ladies over here. They had a very bad attitude, I could tell. But anyway, uh, I asked you to do that because I wanted you to see a parallel between the properties of natural light and the properties of the light offered, spiritual light, offered by the Lord Jesus. So for instance, uh, perhaps you arrived at this uh, conclusion, we do not have light, uh, physical light, inherently in us. We need it, and it comes from another a source. Light has to be reflected off of something else, then it has to enter into our eyes. If there is no source of light outside of ourselves and no reflecting of that light, we can't see a thing. We do not possess light inherently in us. Stay with me. Can you see the spiritual parallels already between physical light and the spiritual light uh, the Lord claims to be? Light is sourced in something outside of us. In our case, it's the sun. And one of the things it does is it reveals things. Light helps us to see, and light helps us to walk, and light helps us to move forward without stumbling. Without natural light, we would not be able to move forward without stumbling. Light provides warmth and comfort and a good feeling. In fact, studies have been done. You know about this? In certain places, during certain seasons of the 
year, when you don't, there's very little sunlight, people get depressed. It's a diagnosable condition called seasonal affective disorder. SAD. S-A-D. It's an acronym. SAD. Seasonal. I lived in Chicago for uh, many, many years. Chicago's a beautiful place except in the winter, which lasts like forever in Chicago. And during winter in Chicago, you can get depressed. I, I mean, there's very little sunlight, and studies are indicating that we need that light on our skin to be absorbed by our system because it has an effect on us emotionally. Without the light, you can get depressed. Light gives life. For instance, uh, if you have a backyard with green grass, get a small cloth and put it on a patch of grass. Just leave it there. It's green, but come back a few days later and all the color will be gone. It's interesting. Light is associated with life and its opposing force. Darkness is associated with death. In fact, darkness is, you can look this up, I I did, it's a dictionary definition of darkness. Darkness is the absence of the light. And so, uh, no matter how hard you, have you ever thought about this? No matter how hard you try, think about this, you cannot do a thing about the darkness. You cannot dispel the darkness. If you want to get rid of the darkness, you have to uh, institute into that situation a source of light. You don't possess it. You are enveloped, swallowed up, suffocated by the darkness. It's a force you can't do a thing about. As soon as you apply the light, however, the darkness is dispelled. Can you see what I'm getting at? These are... Uh, parallels between the physical universe and spiritual realities. Now, the Lord, knowing that we would stumble upon all these parameters of natural light, makes this statement, I am the light of the world. You need a source of light outside of yourself. You think of the sun. You should think of the sun, S-O-N. Now, I want to tell you something else that's quite dramatic about what the Lord said. It's the whole context in which he made that declaration. As you recall, it's during one of the feasts of Israel. In this case, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's winding down, but it's still going on here in John chapter 8. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot, was a time when Israel gathered together in Jerusalem to thank God for how he provided for them in the wilderness wanderings. They are specifically thanking God for something by which he guided them for 40 years, day and night through the wilderness. He sent them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of what? Fire by night. And they are coming before God now, and they are thanking him for that provision of light during their wilderness wanderings. Last week, I told you about a special observance during Sukkot. It was a water ceremony. Uh, Here, it's a light ceremony. And, And the Lord, during this time, is essentially saying, you remember that pillar of 
light, fire that directed your paths during your wilderness wanderings. I am that pillar of fire, of light for the entire world, not just the Jewish people, everybody. I am the light of the world. Now listen to this. During each of the nights of Sukkot, it was a seven-day festival. At night, they would have a temple illumination ceremony. I spoke about the water ceremony last week. This is the light ceremony. It actually happened. In the precincts of the temple, there were various courtyards, and people were restricted to the courtyards according to who you were. For instance, women were restricted to a place called the court of the women. Gentiles could go no further than the court of the Gentiles. That's the way it was. This temple illumination ceremony took place in the court of the women. It was very, very public. Now, uh, women could go no further, could get no closer to the temple, uh, to its holy place, than the court of the women. But anyone could go into the court of the women. Men could go in there, anybody, but women could go nowhere else. They, had to, they were restricted to the court of the women. In this place, at night, there were constructed four huge candelabras. We call them a menorah, a menorah. And they had uh, four branches on each, four, and four big bowls to receive olive oil uh, and a wick with which priests illuminated them. Now, because these four menorahs or candelabras or lampstands were so big, they called upon young priests to climb these really high ladders so as to fill these four bowls with olive oil and to light the wicks of these brilliant uh, luminaries. In fact, it is recorded that the lights were so bright there was barely a place in the entire uh, city of Jerusalem that wasn't illuminated to one extent or another by these four lights. And then... It was a great celebratory time. Uh, there would be singing and dancing. In fact, after the priests kindled these lights, uh, certain of the priests, the most holy and the most pious, were called upon to dance all night long. From night until morning, they would dance and they would sing psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving and joy. And all of the people would gather in and participate in this night-long worship service. Now listen, in this context, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth, this Jesus who came from Nazareth, in this context stood up and made this very dramatic announcement. In this context, during this festival of light, he stood up and proclaimed in a very loud voice, in a very public place, the court of the women. Many people would have been gathered there at the time. In a loud voice, he stood up and proclaimed, I am the light of the world. He said these magnificent lights will eventually flicker and go out, but not me. 
I can offer you the light of life on into eternity. This is a great festival you Jewish people are having, but it's going to come to an end. But the light with which I enlighten you has no end. It is the light that imparts life now and on into eternity. And because I'm the light of the world, this is what he's saying. What I offer is not just for Jewish people. It's for anybody, anybody. Folks, this is such a dramatic uh, statement that the Jewish religious leaders freak out. And you can read this in the next verses. We'll get to them next week. I want to stay on this one for tonight. Uh, they had a horrible reaction to this statement. They were uh, offended and repulsed by it. You say, why? What is he saying that's so terrible? He's saying, I'm the light of the world. Well, that's how we hear it. You know how they heard it? They heard him claiming to be God. That's how they heard it. They knew him to be the carpenter's son. From Nazareth, can any good thing come from Nazareth? You know, all this stuff. He didn't go to any of their schools. He's some kind of radical, marginalized rabbi. He, didn't, he wasn't credentialized by them. Who does he think he is? And what's worse, he's getting a following. People are leaving us and hanging out with this rabbi Yeshua. They are upset with all this because they heard him claim to be God. Why do I say that? Well, listen to just a few verses. Here's Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Here's Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. Listen to Micah chapter 7 verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Can you see how light is being used as an expression for God himself? In fact, the rabbis taught that light is a name for the Messiah. When Jesus stood up during this pilgrim feast of Israel, feast of tabernacles, and made this unbelievably striking proclamation, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I'm your divine Messiah. Look no further. I'm the light who bequeaths light to those who otherwise dwell in dark. And what's more, he said this in the second part of this verse. He said, he who follows me, not the rabbis, not these traditions, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember, we can't do a thing about the darkness for crying out loud except be swallowed up by it because we don't have a source of light in us. It's outside of us. Jesus said, I'm that source of light. Follow me, I can dispel the darkness for you so that you will have the light of life. Now, folks, natural light uh, expresses itself universally. You can't point to a place on the map that doesn't have light, reflected light from the sun. Light is universal. So, too, the Lord said, I am the light of the world. 
his enlightenment, what he has to offer, is also available worldwide. But the Lord is saying, even though my light is universally available, it has to be responded to personally. You cannot just look at the light. You have to follow it. And he is saying that requires a personal decision. Hence it says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness. Can you see that the religious leaders are going crazy? He not only claims to be Messiah, he not only claims to be God, he claims that people are locked into darkness and cannot be free except they choose to follow him personally by an act of the will of their own free volition. When someone chooses to follow the light of the world, then he enlightens them and they will, as a sign of it, no longer walk in darkness. So folks, coming to Christ is, is not really coming to a religion. Christianity is not one of the world's religions. Don't do that. Uh, what we believe in is not focused on a creed or even a theological statement. The essence of Christianity is Christ. Don't you see? We're invited not into a dogma, not into a body of information, not into a denomination. No, we're invited into a personal relationship by Jesus and with Jesus who claims to be the light of the world. Therein, we see Christianity distinguished from every other world religion. Muhammad is not inviting people into this relationship with him. Buddha doesn't do that. In fact, Buddha doesn't claim to be the light. He says, I'm seeking light. But Jesus makes a distinctive claim when he said, I am the light of the world. And the only way to dispel the darkness in you and in your life is to come to me. And that requires a personal act of volition on your part. So don't make Christianity one of the great world religions. No, it has nothing in common with religion. It's an invitation into a personal relationship with the one who unabashedly claims to be God and fleshed the Messiah of Israel and of all those who call upon his name by faith. Come to me, says he, and you will no longer walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Now you, if you're a Christian, have experienced that very thing. Things have changed for you. And it isn't because you know the Bible from cover to cover, cover yet fully. It's not that you have a, a full understanding of all of the doctrines of the faith, but there came a time when you came to have Jesus, the light of the world, in you. And he has enlightened you. And he has affected your thinking and your perception and your lifestyle so that, just as he said, you find yourself no longer enveloped by the darkness. You're walking in the light. Now, you're not doing this so much in your own strength. Oh, no, this is the evidence of having come to the light. Now that you've come to the light, the light, Jesus, in you, has dispelled the darkness. And now you think differently about things. I'll bet you, you have a point of view, for instance, about 
about the moral imperatives of the day that you may not have had at one time. I'll bet your perspective on abortion, if you're a Christian, is different now than it once was. I'll bet your perspective on same-gender relationships is different now than it perhaps once was. I'll bet everything, every fundamental moral issue of the day has now been informed in your mind, previously darkened. I'll bet every moral decision you now make is a function of the enlightenment you have received because you came to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Now, if you're not seeing those things, would you stick around and talk to one of us? You may not have come to the light. I'll tell you what I mean. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 1 John was written by the same John who wrote this book we've been studying. Here's what he said in 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him, You know, someone says, oh, I know Jesus. Okay, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Folks, we're not talking about sinless perfection, but if you say you've come to Jesus and you don't see a new lifestyle Maybe you haven't come to Jesus. I don't want to ruin things for you, but he makes a difference. As soon as you turn on the light in a dark room, boom, things change. Did I tell you this? I, I, I used to live in Chicago. We lived in a big high-rise apartment building, and they have cockroaches in the apartment buildings in Chicago. Did I tell you this? But they're different than over here. Uh, Texas cockroaches are big, slow, and stupid. I mean, they will just sit there. They look ugly, but they just sit there waiting for you to step on them. I mean, it's crunchy and it goes all over the place. I I understand that. But man, they're like easy to kill. Texas cockroaches, they just, it's not even a challenge. But Chicago cockroaches, man, they will laugh at you. They're smaller, they're quicker, they're much smarter. They're in your kitchen. You come up, you know, you're hungry. It's two o'clock in the morning. Your wife is sleeping. You're going in there to sneak something. You turn on the light and there they are. They see you and then they run to the next apartment. So you can spray your place, but they're real smart. They'll say, cool, vacation. We'll just stay next door until this chemical stuff goes away, and then we move back in. That's how they do it. And, and, and so it's a very interesting illustration of how you turn on the light. It exposes all the vermin in that kind of a place. It lightens your way, and it points out bad stuff and things to But when you came to Jesus, who is the light of the world... One of the things that immediately happened is that your sins were forgiven. I got all that. But you didn't just get saved from the penalty of your sin. You got saved from darkness. You don't walk in the darkness anymore. Jesus has enlightened and illuminated you, and your mind is different. You think on things entirely differently now than you ever did before. If you're not seeing those things, talk to one of us, would you, would you please? Because you should be if you call yourself a a Christian. Now, Jesus, furthermore, was saying that though the light of the, in, in the temple precincts is so brilliant and bright, in the end, as I mentioned, it's going to flicker and go out, but he never will. The light of life offered by Jesus will never be extinguished. He was saying that the person who follows him will have light not only for an exciting night, but for eternity. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness ever again, but will have the light that gives life forevermore. Now, folks, you probably 
in your discussion came upon this, the opposing force of light is darkness. And the Lord Jesus is simply saying, I am the light that triumphs over the darkness. You can't and neither can I. I don't have an inherent source of light in me. I need an external source of light. Jesus said, that's me. And when you ask me to come into your life, I can come in and dispel the darkness. What an invitation he made. He, in essence, said, come to me, for I am the light that gives life. I am the light that guides. I am the light that sustains. I am the light that comforts. I am the light that dispels the darkness. You know, uh, we're getting all kinds of fights today about political things and points of view and all the rest. Uh, I, I, I find that people who are in the darkness, I find that their fundamental problem has to do with coming to the light, not with a particular political point of view. And even if you successfully argue your perspective with someone, they're still in the darkness, right? But I'm telling you this, don't abandon our primary message. It's to invite people to come to Jesus, the light. It's not to persuade people about uh, these other issues, big issues of the day. You know, sometimes it's all right not to offer your opinion on the collateral issues of the day that are dividing us because it may nullify the platform you have to tell them what they really need to know. If you're talking with someone, you think that person is really off base about moral or ethical issues of the day or whatever it is. Folks, the solution is for them to be moved from darkness to light. You can't do that. You can't do a thing about it. All you can do is try to bring them to Jesus, who claims quite boldly to be the light of the world. Now, I want to ask you this. Why do people, why do some people turn away from the light? And I'll tell you why. It's simple. It's because they prefer the darkness. Listen, John chapter 3, we were there a long time ago. John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light, capital L, refers to Jesus. The light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That's why people don't come to Jesus, because they prefer the darkness over the light. Folks, do you realize that our sin problem is far deeper than we think? We love our sin much more than we do God's holy light. And we're just like those cockroaches, I'm telling you. The light goes on and we run for cover. People love darkness, I did, many of you did, because of what it hides. People resent Jesus the light because of what he reveals. He reveals sin. And we don't want to think of ourselves that way. And he reveals judgment for sin. We hate that idea. God is love. He won't judge anyone, we say. And we hate the fact that the only way to be right with a holy God is through acceptance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. People hate these notions, and therefore, they don't want to come to him because they prefer darkness rather than light. And such were some of us. Now, I want to tell you something that happens when a person chooses darkness 
rather than light, and it probably characterized us. That person refuses to leave the light alone. That person so hates the light, he wants to extinguish the light. John 3.20, for everyone who does evil hates the light. So unbelievers are not folks who just love their sin. They hate Jesus. I did, you did. I, I remember when I was a kid, Billy Graham would come on TV. Those are the days before remote control, so you couldn't just flick them off. You had to get up <laughs> off the couch and by hand change the channel. But I don't know what it was when Billy Graham came on. You know, oh, man. Turn that, everyone in my family, turn that guy off. What's up with that? We were cockroaches running for cover. He represented the light. We, didn't, we weren't benign about Jesus. We were neutral about him. We didn't want anything to do with him because he was the light and he revealed stuff we wanted to keep under wraps. We wanted to live under cover of darkness because our deeds were evil. We didn't just, in a neutral way, refuse Jesus. We wished he would go away. And all you people who live by the cross, we wish you would go away. Leave us all alone. You were like that too, for crying out loud. You couldn't stand other Christians. Are you kidding me? In fact, all they had, I remember when I was a chaplain in the military. I wouldn't say a thing. I'd go into an uh, area where there were a bunch of soldiers hanging out. That's it. When I knew I was a chaplain, I had a cross right here. I'd just walk in the room. Man, it would be like dead silence. What in the world? I didn't even start preaching. I didn't do anything yet. I'm just going to hang out. But I represented the light. They couldn't tell their stories. They couldn't smoke what they were smoking. They couldn't drink what they were They couldn't do any of this stuff. Because this guy, uh, who knows the light, was turning on the light. And they just wanted to run. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes the guy, I'd be left in an empty room. Go to see Chapman, got to go. They do the Michael Jackson moonwalk, you know. I got to go, Chapman. What did I do? People who love their sin go beyond that. They also, hate, they also hate Jesus. Therefore, I point this out to tell you this. Don't be surprised by conflict, opposition, or persecution because you identify with Christ. I read an article just before coming today. Experts are saying the persecution of Christians is on uh, an increase worldwide at wide, and has reached proportions unequaled in human history. Today, as we sit here, the persecution of Christians who identify with Jesus, the light of the world, is on the increase. Now, we should not be, uh, we should not be surprised by this. And of course, it's happening in our, own, in our own country when you think of... Uh, um, the behaviors of Christians, you know, that, that are now under fire. You think that you, this shouldn't happen. Maybe not. But I'm telling you, uh, Satan is turning up the burner. He's the prince of darkness. Isn't it interesting that he's referred that way? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Well, Satan is the opposite. And he's the opposing force. He's the prince of darkness. He's turning up the stakes. I'm no date setter, but I think we can figure out where we are in redemptive history by seeing how active Satan is getting. Holy moly. He is really, really getting 
active. And so you're seeing folks, even in our own land, they're not just neutral about Jesus. They hate him because he's the light. He exposes sin and judgment and righteousness. And so things, we shouldn't be surprised, in other words, by what's happening in our particular day. Now, though by nature, everyone here, me, everyone here, by nature, we prefer the darkness. Did you know that? So if you have been enlightened by Jesus, he did a work on you. (laughs) You didn't get to him by yourself. You may give yourself credit for that, but you didn't. You're in the darkness and you loved it just like everybody did. But God in his mercy somehow inclined your heart, stirred you up. It might have been through a tract. It might have been through a conversation uh, over a cinnamon bun. It, 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 it might have been in a doctor's office. God, God, God mercifully used these different inputs and these ingredients to cause you to be uncomfortable with the darkness that is, that is just uh, enveloping you. And, and, and you're getting a notion of a different way and You want to come to the light. And if you've come to the light, it's because the Lord Jesus enabled you to do this. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're made for it. We're made for it. We're made for the light. We're created in the image of God so that we can come to the light and be in a harmonious relationship with him. And that's why the world's going crazy. uh, Because people in the world are not living according to their purpose. The purpose is to come to the light to be warmed up, to be guided, to be kept from stumbling, to have the darkness dispelled. That's our purpose, to come to the light. And to the extent that we're not, we're seeking after false lights. So people are doing it through sex. Uh, Of all kinds, every variety. These are not monsters, are they? These are people with legitimate God-given needs who are seeking to have them met by going to false lights. That's what's, that's what's happening. For if, you, if you're not enlightened by Jesus, the light who imparts life, you're on a quest for it. You're looking for light in all the wrong places. Folks, we are made for the light that Christ offers. So I ask you this question. How have you responded to Jesus, the light of the world? Can I simplify it for you? There's only two possibilities. You are, are either running to the light or you are running from it. So answer the question how to yourself. How have you responded to Jesus who is the light? There's only two options. You're either running to him or you are running away from him. And by the way, uh, that is the fundamental difference with humankind. Now, we're dividing on all bases. Those who, those who, uh, uh, bend, you know, who, who get on their knee during the national anthem, those who refuse to, I mean, we're dividing. I mean, there's more hate, contempt for one another, and all the rest. If you think these are simple issues, you got it wrong. Uh, 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 and you say, well, well, I vote this way. I'm Republican. I'm Republican. And we're divided. Well, I'm black. I'm white. I'm male. I'm female. <laughs> Those are not the fundamental distinguishing points between people. It's our response to Jesus. The humankind is divided into one of two camps, those who run to the light and those who run from it. That's the way it is. And you have to decide what is your response? What is your response to the light? Harvey Weinstein, producer, you know, big Hollywood, you know about all the stuff he's involved in? It's just crazy. Hate to ruin your day. All kinds of sexual exploits are coming out. And, you know, he's lived in the darkness. You know, people prefer the darkness because their deeds 
are evil. And I notice many Christians are so repulsed with this guy, this monstrous, perverted individual. Would you be offended if I told you I can relate exactly to Harvey Weinstein? Apart from the true light, you go after false light. The only difference between Harvey Weinstein and me is that at this point, he's running from the light, and by God's grace, I was enabled to run to it. That's the only difference. Uh, I'll tell you what, what we all have in common, sin. I have the same sinful inclination that Harvey Weinstein has. Now, whether I acted on it or not is not the issue. I have the same sinful nature that, that he has. What then is the difference? Our response to Jesus' invitation. Some, in hearing Jesus say, come to me, I'm the light of the world, say, Lord Jesus, I come. And others say, no way. That's the only difference. Folks, this is our mission. This is our mission, to bring people to a point of decision about Jesus' delight and so live that they would be attracted to the light we have benefited from in him. Folks, if you are now today running from the light, you will be expelled permanently from it in the future. In fact, you will be relegated to a place the Bible refers to as the place of outer and utter darkness. See it? If you choose the darkness now and are running from Jesus the light, as powerful as he is, he'll let you be. And you will pass on into eternity in that state of affairs. If you are running from Jesus the light now, I want to tell you something. You are not ready for him when he the light returns. Now listen, when he says, I am the light of the world, he means a lot of things, not the least of which is this. He means one day there will be a world situation characterized not by darkness, by, but by light, which I shed abroad in people's hearts. Jesus said he is the light of the world. Are you ready for that world? I want to tell you, if you're running from Jesus the light now, you can't possibly be ready for that new world in which darkness has no room to operate. And, and, and I want to tell you something. If you've come to the light of Jesus already, you're absolutely, absolutely fully prepared for the new world to come. And I want to just give you a glimpse of it as we close. I, I just want, want to read to you what it says in the last book of the Bible. Listen, Revelation 21. And I saw John again is writing a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea why not sea waters separate nothing will separate the citizens of this new world then and john said i saw the holy city new jerusalem i've been to jerusalem it's far from a holy city today but it will be one day. He said, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Nobody can make Jerusalem new. Only God can. And, and he said, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God. Folks, we've been reading about the feast of tabernacles. John is using that 
uh, symbolism, and look at the phrase, behold, in that day, he saw the tabernacle of God among men. And he, the tabernacle is not a tent or a booth. The tabernacle is a he. It's none other than Jesus the Messiah. And he shall dwell, shall tabernacle among them in that new Jerusalem in that day. And they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can you imagine? And there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Why not? The first things, this reality, this is the first thing. The first things will have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, that's the risen Lord Jesus. He said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And then further down in this text, it says, and I saw no temple in it. We've been reading about the temple here in John's gospel. But in that day, in the new Jerusalem, there won't be any temple. Why not? For the Lord God, the almighty, the lamb are its temple. <gasps> God the Father, God the Son will be in our midst. There'll be no need for the temple. That's a symbol. We'll be there with the reality, Jesus himself. Now, can you imagine this? When there was a temple, God was localized in it. Only certain select people could get into the most holy place of the temple. Only the priest, the high priest, into the holy of holies. I told you, the women couldn't even get further than the court of the women. Gentiles couldn't get closer than the court of the Gentiles. But in this day, there is no temple. There are no walls to restrict access to Jesus who will be right in their midst. Women, finally, <laughs> will be treated with equality. Gentiles, Jews, blacks, whites, everybody who knows Jesus, who have come to Jesus as the light of the world. There won't be some folks who are closer to the temple than others. There'll be no need for it, don't you see? It's just a symbol. The ultimate reality is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus will be tabernacling with us. Women will have as much access to him. Uh, black people, white people, Spanish, I mean, all the, all the things that divide us today. Terribly, sadly, tragically, and we're not going to fix it. Jesus will make it new. I'm telling you, you're not ready for any of that if you're running from the light now. In fact, you'll be disqualified from it if you're running from the light now. And it goes on. The city has no need, get this, of the sun. Can you imagine? The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. Why not? For the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Don't you see Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and the grand fulfillment of it will be in the new Jerusalem, wherein there's no need for luminaries in the sky, like the sun and the moon. Why? Because the Lamb will be the light. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory to it. Can you imagine Right now, the nations of the earth are about ready to obliterate one another with nuclear bombs and all the rest. But in this day, 
It'll be entirely different. And in the daytime, for there will be no night. That's what it says. Its gates shall never be closed. Are you kidding me? How many locks do you have on your doors? <gasps> there's no night. There's no darkness. There's no need for locks. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, into this new city. And nothing unclean. And no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't you see? Only the, some have their names written in the Lamb's book in, uh, of life. Some do not. Humankind is divided into these two groups in God's eyes. Those who have their names inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. How do you do that? Come to Jesus. Come to him as the light and say, I have sinned and therefore I'm separated from you for you are holy. I believe what you did on the cross is the solution to my sin problem. I accept your sacrifice on the cross in my place for all my sin. Come inside of me, enlighten me. Take up your tabernacle, your dwelling in my life. Change me from the inside out. Help me to walk with new understanding, new eyes, new perception. Help me to no longer stumble in the darkness because you are the light that imparts life. That's how you get your name inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, this new Jerusalem will be distinguished not so much by things that are there as much as by things that are not there. No temple there. No sacrifice. No locked gates. No sin. No crying. No pain. No death. No sun. No darkness. I want to live in that place where there is no darkness. And therefore, I'm glad that by grace and mercy, God has enabled me to come to Jesus, the light. Now, I'm ready for then because of the decision I made now. What about you? How have you responded to the light? You're either running to it or away from it. I beseech you, run to it today and thus avoid eternity in that place of utter and outer darkness. When my kids were young, we still do it. There's another holiday we Jews celebrate called the Festival of Lights. And we would light these Hanukkah menorahs. And we would sing this song at the end. <clears throat> He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. We stumbled in the darkness, now we're walking in the light. He's the light of the world. He's the light. Jesus is the light. He wishes to enlighten you. He wishes to save you and inscribe your name in the book of life. He wishes to grant you citizenship in the new Jerusalem. Don't refuse his offer. The darkness cannot give you what he gives you. You are looking for light in all the wrong places. When I look to a man as wealthy and famous as Harvey Weinstein, I say, what did the darkness give him? Marriage has ended, shame, disgrace, possible prison sentence. By the way, don't be so repulsed by people like this. Ache and pray. Oh God, use this tragic fall in this man's life to usher him into the light. 
He's tasted the depths of the dark life. And it's just about killed him. Oh God, as you have illuminated me, why not him? Pray for people like that. And if you yourself have not said, Jesus, I come to you as the light of the world. Be my personal savior. Forgive my sin and change me from the inside out. If you've not done so, why not tonight? Could you stand together? Let me close in prayer. And as, uh, as we stand, could I invite you to spend some time with one of us in the room right behind us called the Connection Center if, uh, if you'd like to talk more about your situation and about Jesus' grand invitation. If you'd like someone to pray with you about anything, we'd count it a great privilege to meet with you in the Connection Center. Do you know of somebody other than yourself who's in darkness and dying because of it needs to come to the light? Would you think of their name as we pray for them right now? Lord Jesus, there's a whole host of folks out there, some near and dear to us, still enveloped by darkness. We're not better than anybody. We've come from that place. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and we want that to be the case for those who are looking for light in all the wrong places. By your grace, we have the names of different ones in mind. Would you please extend yourself to them as you have with us through a person like John Doyle or a person like Benson Pear or any one of us in here offering hope, offering uh, the light of the gospel message. Oh, God in heaven, I pray you get lots of mileage out of us who've been brought to the light. Make us not to be... Uh, judgmental, arrogant, and obnoxious people, people who are simply grateful for salvation and who want others to be saved as well. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there be anyone here tonight who's just not certain about where they stand with you, that they would give us a few minutes of their time so as to leave with certainty about that issue. Many of us here know that should you return today or should we pass away, We have citizenship in the new Jerusalem. And if there's one here who's not certain of that, we pray that one would pause and visit with one of us so as to be certain. Thank you, Jesus, light of the world, for coming into this world, a dark place to illumine those of us who've been by faith enabled to call upon you by name. We look forward, more than you know, with great anticipation to be in your literal presence one day in the new Jerusalem. The best is yet to come. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.